Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Michael, if I haven't had the chance to meet you. And I don't know if you've noticed, but summer is here in Houston, Texas. Um, it's not even as hot as it could be, but I was feeling the back sweat this morning. And summer always makes me think of summer camp, um, partly because of my story, my testimony. It's always this time of year where I remember uh, I was an eight-year-old boy when I had the chance to go off to summer camp. And um, that was where I first heard about Jesus. It was where I first heard um, what he did on the cross, that he died to forgive sinners like me. And the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of my heart to really believe that. So it's a big part of my story. But really, the truth about summer camp is the first time I went, I was incredibly homesick. I remember just like tears running down my face as I was riding the bus to camp and like driving away from my mom. I was like, what have I done? Uh, and I remember just crying myself to sleep the first couple nights. It took me a couple days before I warmed up to, to camp. I ended up having a great time. Um, but I thought that would be my last experience with homesickness. And then later on in life, as God would have it, my wife and I had the chance to go serve on staff with this same summer camp. And, uh, and I had previously been working in finance, so I was like crunching numbers at my computer all day, and my world was, you know, Microsoft Excel and discounted cash flows. And then all of a sudden, my, my world changed to being like unloading campers' luggage and trunks and moving them to their cabins and, uh, and, and working with homesick campers. Uh, that was a big part of what I got to do. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience or if you've had a moment where you felt really homesick, especially as a kid, but one of the things that we would teach our counselors is you got to keep them moving because it's the, it's the down times that really get you when you're feeling homesick. So um, it was usually like what I, what I grew to understand is it was during meal times. Oftentimes if, when you're kind of sitting around a table and you're sharing a meal, something about that activity reminds you of home. It reminds you of sitting around your table at home with family and with loved ones. Or it was, it was rest period. When you finally got to go lay down in bed, just reminded you of your room back home. And these kids, like the homesickness, the wave would just kind of wash over them. And so we, we coached our counselors, hey, keep them moving. Go play ping pong or putt-putt or shoot baskets, whatever it takes. Um, but we want them to experience all that camp has to offer. And I tell you all that as we lead into these last two verses of Psalm 23, because I think our lives function a lot like our camp counselors, where they keep us pretty busy, and they keep us from really feeling that wave of homesickness that, that God has actually placed in our hearts. I believe every one of us has a deep longing for God, for a right relationship with Him. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that He put eternity in our hearts. But life has a way of keeping us distracted, doesn't it? We get moving pretty quick. We've got a long list of to-dos. We busy ourselves so where we don't really allow that wave of spiritual homesickness to wash over us if we can help it. And one of the things that, that I'm praying for this morning as we dive into Psalm 23, verses 5 through 6, is that the Holy Spirit would just allow that wave of spiritual longing to wash over you, that you would long for home in the truest sense that you and I would long to sit at the Lord's table and enjoy a meal with him, that we would long to be in his house forever because that's where David is going to end this famous psalm. What we've seen, if you've been with us the past couple weeks in the 23rd Psalm, is that the Lord is our shepherd, that he cares for us, that he causes our souls to be content and calmed and cured of all of the sicknesses of our soul that afflict us. But also last week, Peter beautifully led us through the valley. He led us through how the shepherd, not just is out in front of us as a sheep, 
uh, as a shepherd leading his sheep, but he also comes alongside us when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, the place of deep darkness. Some of us are in that valley today. Some of us just came out of that valley. Others of us are heading into that valley. To live in this broken world is to experience death's shadow cast over our stories in various ways. But what we learned is that the shepherd, he comes right to our side in those moments. He becomes even more present. He draws us close. The he becomes a you in the valley. David's no longer just theologizing. He's no longer just throwing out great statements of doctrine. His theology is now lit ablaze. He's praying. He's saying, you are with me, Lord, in the valley. But God is so glorious that we have to change metaphors now. He's so holy that the shepherd imagery has helped us along through verses 1 through 4, but now we need to get a slightly different glimpse of his holiness and his glory and his beauty. And so David, in verse 5, is going to shift to talking about the Lord as the greatest host. The greatest host you'll ever know. What we're going to see today in verses 5 through 6 is that the Lord is a host like no other because he welcomes us to his table as guests of honor. But not only that, he welcomes us to his home as beloved children. So let's dive in and allow that spiritual homesickness to wash over us that we would long to be with the Lord. Look back with me at verse 5. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Do you, you hear the, the host imagery, the hospitality imagery, words like table, anointing with oil, an overflowing cup? David is painting this picture of um, abundant generosity, of over-the-top hospitality. This is excessive. This is glorious. What, what he's saying is that the Lord wants intimacy with us. To offer somebody to sit at your table is to offer them friendship in this culture. Derek Kidner in his commentary on this psalm says this, in the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table created a bond of mutual loyalty and could be the culminating token of a covenant. And as we're thinking about this image of the Lord setting a table for us, even coming out of the valley, maybe still in the valley, he is setting a table for us and saying, come and dine with me. Come and have fellowship with me. Come and enjoy a relationship of loyalty and love with me. I wonder, have you ever experienced lavish hospitality like this? I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think of somebody who has hosted you in such a way where you just felt so honored, humbled by the way that they cared for you, intended to you. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, I shared a couple stories from our trip to India um, and if you've been around me, you're probably like, when is this guy going to stop talking about that trip to India? You didn't think you were going to get out of this sermon series without at least one more story. And so here we go. On this same trip, right in the middle of the trip, we had the chance to attend an all-night prayer meeting. So we do our prayer meeting the first Wednesday of each month in this room from 7 to 8.15. And then folks mingle and then kind of get out of here. Their prayer meeting goes from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., so it's like a party, there's feasting, there's lots of praying, there's lots of preaching, there's worship, it's incredible. And, uh, and as we were preparing to go to um, this remote village, I had heard earlier in the week from uh, two of the men that lead the ministry there, Soul Winners India, 
um, Santosh and Shaji were kind of mentioning to me, trying to keep it quiet, hey, they're making some preparations for our time. And one of the things that they said is they're actually putting in a Western commode, like a Western toilet, so that everyone feels comfortable. Like the men of this village are digging and like installing a toilet because they love you so much. And, uh, and, and I remember we arrived at this village and we were welcomed, like uh, treated like guests of honor in the truest sense. The first thing that happened is Pastor Damar, the pastor there, I'll show you guys a picture real quick so you can see him. This is Pastor Damar. I love this man. I can't wait to hang out with him in heaven. Uh, and he, the first thing he did was he washed our feet and welcomed us into his home and shared with us his testimony of how Jesus had delivered him, had saved him from, from worshiping idols, had turned his heart to worship him as the true and living God. Pastor Damar said he used to stay up all night partying with the evil spirits. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds dangerous. And Pastor Damar said that Jesus revealed himself to him. He trusted in Jesus. And now this man is so full of the Holy Spirit. Just to be around him was so refreshing and encouraging. He shares his story with us. They offered us that delicious masala tea. We're welcomed into this, uh, this community, but also in the next tent, they were preparing not the fattened calf, but actually a goat that they had just killed. And they were preparing this delicious meal for us, a huge tub of rice that we all got to share together. And, uh, and as you can see from this picture, they, they, uh, they allowed us to be dressed in their tribal garments. So we were dressed for this celebration. And uh, I'll never forget, I mean, our outfits were pretty cool as the men, but really it was our sisters in Christ that like, they were decked out. I'll show you this next picture. One of our favorite parts of this moment is like the giggling that we could hear from the ladies' tent, because it was like bridesmaids getting ready for, you know, for a wedding. Um, it was such a special moment and such a bond that was shared, but we were welcomed with over-the-top hospitality. I mean, it was deeply humbling, and there was this bond that was created as we were sharing a meal together, as we were singing and dancing together. And I wonder, for you, what image comes to mind when you think of lavish hospitality? And what I want to ask you this morning is, is that how you think about the Lord? I'm asking you this morning, when you think of God, is that what you think of? Do you think of him as the one who just loves to pour out his love upon you? Who is just considering you in so many ways, who is eager to serve and to invite you in and to enjoy fellowship with you over the table? Is that how you think about God? Because I've been confessing this week so often, my default mode, the default mode that I think we're all born with, and we regularly return to, is that God is distant in heaven, and he's just tolerating us. He's just doling out the bare minimum, right? He's just, uh, honestly, he's probably pretty disappointed with me. And he just, if anything, he's holding out on me. Like, he has a lot more to offer, but he's not really extending that to me. So often, that's the mindset that we have when we think about God, and what, what David is saying is, no, what, what's invi- what you're being invited into in a relationship with the Lord is to have a, a table set before you, to have your head anointed with oil, and for your cup to overflow. You're being invited into this beautiful fellowship where your soul will be so full to overflowing. That's what's available to you in Christ today. And so I want to walk us through what would have been in David's mind as he's thinking about this image of hospitality. Think about the table. 
To prepare a table at this time did not mean setting up the placemats and like, you know, the plates and the utensils. That's what we think about when we think about preparing a table. What this means is he's preparing a meal. Because the way that you would share a meal at this time is you would, every bite would start with a piece of bread. You'd tear off a piece of, of flat bread and dip it into the common dish and take it to your mouth. It was this very personal, intimate, communal experience dining together. And David's saying, that's what you're like, Lord. The way that you tend to me as a shepherd, the way that you care for me, you come after me in the midst of my guilt and shame, but also the way that you walk with me in the midst of my suffering and pain. You are the greatest host. You invite me to your table. But not only that, he says, you anoint my head with oil. You'll see this uh, biblical imagery in lots of different places throughout the Bible for a variety of purposes. But anointing with oil, some of the reasons why you would see that in the scriptures, one is for consecration. In the Old Testament, the prophets and priests and kings were anointed with oil. It's meant to be this picture, the symbol of the Holy Spirit being present. These folks being consecrated for service to the Lord. And there'd be a flask of oil that's poured over their head. David himself was anointed as king by Samuel. But not only that, oil was used for, uh, for medicinal purposes. You think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story of this man who is beaten and left for dead. And the Samaritan goes to him and binds up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It would have been expensive. It would have been... Um, an act of love to care for someone in that way. But not only that, oil was also used for hospitality as a statement of you are a guest of honor. I'm pouring this oil over you and it has this beautiful perfume-like fragrance that's filling the room saying you are honored. Jesus, when he dined with a Pharisee, you'll remember the story uh, in Luke 7, there was a woman that came in. She was known to be a sinner woman of the city, and she wets Jesus' feet with her tears. She breaks this alabaster flask of ointment, washes uh, his feet with them, wipes it with her hair. And Jesus talks about how beautiful that was as as an expression of her love that she has for Jesus because she knows that she's forgiven. But he turns to the Pharisee and he says, you know, ever since I walked in here, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Jesus, the master of hospitality, is saying, you didn't treat me in that way because you don't love me. You haven't experienced my forgiveness, but this woman has. And so we see that hospitality looked like pouring oil over the head of of the guest, saying you are a guest of honor. You're welcomed in this place. But not only that, David says, my cup overflows. Those of you that I've had the privilege of meeting for breakfast know that I uh, love Avalon Diner. And I love that uh, your cup overflows at Avalon Diner. I appreciate how um, aggressive the, the, the wait staff is in making sure that your coffee's always full. You feel so tended to. Like, man, I can't even take one drink of this coffee before it's full. And, uh, and so I appreciate that. What, what David's saying is, this is the way that God's love works. He doesn't just fill us up with just enough, and then we run out. He says, as often as you will turn to me, as often as you'll just make the cup available, I will fill it to overflowing. If you hold the cup like this, they're not going to fill up your cup at Avalon Diner, but if you extend it, they will fill it up to overflowing. And what God says is, my love is infinite. He says in in the Psalms, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. He says, I have more than enough for you. So I wonder, is this how you're thinking about God today? 
with everything that you're walking through. Maybe you're in a season where it's marked by guilt and shame where you feel like God's disappointed with you. Maybe you're in a season where you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you feel like God is distant. You're wondering, like David prayed in the Psalms, where are you, Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? I want you to hear the invitation today is if you will open yourself up to him. He wants to have you sit at the table with him. He's waiting to meet with you. He's waiting to weep with you, to walk with you through the deepest, darkest valley. It's like Jesus when he uh, invited Peter to have breakfast with him. You remember that story at the end of John's gospel? Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter's at his lowest moment. He's like, I'm going back to fishing. I'm giving up on this whole disciple thing, following Jesus. And as he approaches the shore, he sees that Jesus is already on the shore cooking breakfast. He says, Peter, come and have breakfast. Do you feel that invitation from Jesus? He's the greatest host. He's saying, come and let's, let's share a meal together. I'm offering friendship and fellowship and um, lavish provision in your life if you will just come to me. You see, what David is saying is the Lord is a host like no other because he welcomes us to his table as honored guests. But not only that, he welcomes us home as beloved children. He's going to even dial up the imagery a little bit more personally, a little more intimately. He's going to now talk about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And so let me read this for us. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So picture the scene. David's already saying the spiritual reality here is that he is sitting around the Lord's table, but he's not just there as a guest who has to go home. He's not just there as a, as a guest multiple times, but lives somewhere else. What he's saying is, God, what you're inviting me into, what's available in, in covenant relationship with you, Lord, is that I get to be in your house forever. You see, this was not just for the priests and the Levites. This is not only an image of David as a, as a religious pilgrim going to the house of the Lord. What he's saying here is, God, I want to be with you forever. And I know that this is surely a reality. And you know, we see this fulfilled in Jesus. We see Jesus in John 14 saying, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would not I have told you? I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm going to come and take you to be with me, that where I am, you may be also. You feel how personal these images are. You see what David's saying. This is not just distant reality for him. He is saying, God, I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. And in fact, as he's prayed through this psalm, as he's gone on this journey, starting with statements about God as the good shepherd, who comes and gets his sheep, who restores them when they're way off the path, like he does for all of us, who walks with them through the deepest, darkest valley. You feel the confidence building for David. You invite me to sit at table with you, to feast with you. By the end, what David is saying is not only I shall not want, not only I lack nothing, he's saying surely and only goodness and mercy forever. That's going to define my story. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, 
Even if right now I am in deep pain and heartache, I know, God, that your mercy is coming for me. Your goodness is chasing me down. What I love about these words, goodness and mercy, goodness is the word tov. It's like mazel tov or boker tov is good morning. Uh, it means good, but really here's what, here's, if you dive a little bit deeper into the meaning of this word, here's what it means. Tav has to do with things that are pleasant, agreeable, beneficial, desirable, and I love this one, kind. God, your kindness is chasing me down is what David is saying, but also mercy. We talked about this word even last week, but this loyal love, hesed, And there's two sides of this coin of mercy. On the one hand, it means faithfulness within a covenant. Think marriage. Think the way a parent loves a child. But also on the other other hand, grace that's freely offered. So there's this grit, this faithfulness, this covenant loyalty. There's also this grace that's freely offered. Goodness supplies our needs. Mercy blots out our sins. But here's what David is saying. Not just are these two realities going to follow me at a distance. He's saying, when he says follow, all throughout the Old Testament, this is, this is usually used of, uh, of an army chasing another army. This is like this, this one army that is in hot pursuit of another one to defeat them. Think like somebody's following us. We're being followed. It's not just like two stray dogs kind of like tailing along behind you. This is like my childhood, uh, our beloved dog, uh, Izzy, who's a bloodhound. My dad loved this dog. Think like droopy face. I don't know if you've got a lot of time around bloodhounds, but like the drool, the droopy ears, incredible sense of smell. What we used to do is uh, my dad would have us uh, wipe our scent on a cloth and then he would hold it to Izzy's nose and we would take off running out of the backyard and run as far as we could like a street over. And it wasn't a question of whether Izzy was going to find us. It was just when. Like she was coming for us. She'd have her head down and occasionally she'd look up she, you know, smell the scent a little bit more, keep going, and Izzy always found us. It was the most fun game of hide-and-seek. She was this hound that was chasing us down. And David's saying, God, that's what your goodness and mercy is like in my story. I can't outrun it. You're coming for me. Do you know him in this way? Do you know this about him? Friends, if this feels like a distant reality for you, As you're hearing this, if you're saying, man, that sounds really nice for David, remember what we've said. Remember his story. Remember how David ran from God. Remember Bathsheba. Remember Uriah. Remember the brokenness in his story. But he says, like a shepherd, you come and tend to me. You bring me back. Remember the heartache that David experienced? His son Absalom, after rebelling against him and pursuing him, wanting him dead, son Absalom was killed. Remember the heartache. He knew loss. He knew, he knew what it was to have enemies all around him. He knew what it was to grieve and to mourn. And he says, yet, Lord, I know you were with me. You drew close to me in those times. Wherever you are in your story, I want you to hear this. The goodness and mercy of God is chasing you down if you will but open yourself up to him. We see these realities are not just... Um, not just concepts, not just ideas. Goodness and mercy came in the person and work of Jesus. They were incarnated in him, that Jesus came to rescue us. He came to prepare a table for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He's preparing a feast for us now. 
We know that the way that heaven's talked about in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, blessed are those who are invited. This is available to you, this fellowship. But it's not just off in the future. Friends, this is available to you today. Even if you're in the, the driest desert in your story right now, if you're in the midst of heartache and loneliness and despair, David's saying you can feast in the Lord's presence and you can live in his house. Even if it doesn't make sense in your circumstances, to know him is to enjoy the deepest satisfaction of your soul. So for, I don't know for you what comes to mind when you think of, um, when you think of God as a father. And on this Father's Day, I don't know what emotions are attached to um, father for you. Maybe it's the best of emotions. Maybe your, your earthly father is your hero. Maybe for some of you, it brings up heartache and pain. It's really hard to think about God as a father. I know for me, as I have been uh, spending time in this passage, one of the things that came to mind for me is um, what God is teaching me about his father heart as I'm learning to be a dad myself. Um, you know, I had a moment uh, a couple years ago, I had the chance to attend a training for pastors. And I just come into this training really discouraged and just felt like, man, I'm not any good at this. I'm not as good at this as Peter or as Jeremiah or these other pastors in this room. Um, just one of those moments where I'm like, does do I really matter to God? Does he care about me? Am I valued in his sight? And uh, in this training, we were, we were diving into Matthew chapter 3. I love we just got to celebrate baptism out here. And in that story, that's when Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism. Remember the story, the Holy Spirit rests on him. And the voice of the Father says this, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. A room full of pastors, we're talking about this reality that in Christ, that's true of all of us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're united to him by faith. The word spoken over your life is you are my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So we're talking about that. And yet I'm sharing how I don't feel that right now. Like I feel really discouraged. And uh, we had a time of prayer and, and uh, the men were in my little group were praying for me. And one of the guys says, hey, Mike, you, uh, you have a two-year-old son case was about two at that point, right? And I was like, yeah, I have a two-year-old son. He's like, you know, as we were praying, sometimes God just gives me an image uh, as I'm praying for somebody and speaks to me in that way. Not always, but sometimes. And he's like, I had this image of you throwing up your two-year-old son case in the air. And like the look on his face was just the look of joy. Like he was just sheer joy, having so much fun. And he had no doubt that you were going to catch him. Like there was no fear. He knew dad's got me. And, uh, and, the, and just what God has put on my heart to share with you is, you know, when you're loved this much, you just can't fall. And I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks that day because as I walked out of our house, my wife Erin had just put this picture up on our kitchen counter. I think we have it here. This was the picture that I had seen on my way out the door that day. I was like, wow, Lord, you have my attention. Um, and so, and so this, that had just happened like a week before, throwing case up in there, this beautiful moment. Um, and... The truth is, I'm like a really average father, and like, I was, there's a chance I could drop him. Um, but, but, in, but in this instance, like, if I thought Case was going to go down, I would put myself between him and the ground, right? Like, even if, like, I would make sure that he lands on me. Um, and, and I was thinking about it, this image of God loving us in this way. He's an infinitely better father than any father you've ever experienced. Whatever your picture of father is. He is so loving, so kind, so fiercely loyal and faithful. And I was thinking to myself, um, 
you know, Lord, I was praying after that, after that meeting, and I was thinking, you know, I know it's not true that I'm not going to experience heartache. Like, I know that I'm going to experience the valley of the shadow of death. We all have and we all will. The brokenness of this world will cross over with your story. But I know that you're going to be with me. If I have you, Lord, I have everything. If I have you, Father, I have fullness of joy. If I have you, Lord Jesus, then I'm feasting even in the midst of the the deepest, darkest valley. And I wonder for you, if you can hear the Lord's voice saying to you today, would you come home? The homesickness that you feel, I put that there. And I desire fellowship with you, communion with you. I want you to live in my house forever. All you've ever longed for It's fulfilled in me, in my relationship with you. That's what the Lord says to you today. And so how do we know that we can trust him in this way? How do we know that his goodness and mercy will chase us down? You know, the story of the Bible could be summarized this way. How can a holy God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? And the answer to that question is found in Jesus, God with us. The Holy One came, and He took the cup of staggering, the cup of God's wrath, so that all that would be left for us is the cup of salvation, the cup of God's blessing, the cup of fellowship. And the end of the story in Revelation 21 is this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. This is what your heart longs for. This is what you were made for, to dwell with him forever. And so for David, he ends this psalm. His heart is now in this place of confidence and peace because his heart's desires are being met in relationship with the Lord. And so I want to close by sharing with us Psalm 27.4. This is what David says. This is how he puts it. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? When you see him loving you, when you see him laying down his life for you, when you see him making a way for you to be in his house forever, he changes the appetite of your heart where all you want is him. If you have him, you have everything. If you've never trusted in him, his is a love like no other. He's a host like no other. Would you come to him and find the deepest longings of your soul satisfied? And if you know him, but he feels distant in this season, would you return to him? Would you open yourself up to him? The invitation is, Jesus is saying, come and have breakfast. Come and enjoy this fellowship with me. I will satisfy your soul like no one else. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that it's true, that you didn't leave us alone to navigate the deepest, darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. You came for us. You experienced it, Lord, so that we could be eternally safe, that you took the cup of the wrath of God towards sin so that all that's left for us is the cup of salvation. I pray that we would experience that today, that we would enjoy you that we would find our, our souls satisfied, satisfied in you, Lord. Would you anoint us with oil in the truest sense? Let your spirit wash over us and minister your love to us, Father. We thank you for your grace. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.